On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. What's really come out of this is we really figured out that we really can use these types of platforms to connect with more people across the state. The pandemic forced us to explore new opportunities and a variety of funding options and programs have responded to the need. The state unemployment rate continues to drop, and we'll hear from Governor Kim Reynolds about the Iowa business recovery. And we'll talk more about family and generational succession that has led to growth for one Northeast Iowa company. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of October 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The coronavirus struck swiftly and drastically altered all of our plans for the year. Recovery is taking place, but never as fast as we may want. Among the entities both Iowa citizens and businesses have looked to for guidance is Iowa Workforce Development. Ryan West is IWD Deputy Director. We spoke about this unique year and how the agency has responded via Zoom on Wednesday, October 21st. I think the thing is that we found within the first couple of months was I'm a big believer in adversity creates opportunity. And I think once we got through those first couple of months, Jeff, we really started to determine, okay, let's look for innovative ways to help employers connect with job seekers or vice versa. Because even during that first initial couple of months, there were industries that were rising to the top. You know, transportation was in desperate need uh, of employees. There's other industries, you know, certainly restaurant and retail really took the brunt of a lot of this, but other industries were just like clamoring. We still need skilled workforce. We still need workers. And so we had to get through that unemployment insurance phase, which we're still working through now. But I would like to say that we're kind of on the downhill slide here. We're now getting our hands back around, helping to fill the skilled workforce for the employers out there who need it. The unemployment rate was released on Tuesday. We dropped to 4.7 from 6%. So that's a good trend, you know, a lot of different things you can read out of the unemployment rate. However, one of the key things to, that, that we should talk about with that is the fact that now we're going to have employers who are still going to be out looking for job seekers. So a lot of grant, to get to your point, a lot of grant opportunities have come out over the last couple of weeks. We had the Future Ready Iowa Employer Innovation Fund. Again, innovative ways to get employers engaged in communities. Uh, it's a community employer-based scenarios to get opportunities to find skilled workers and keep skilled workers in those, especially the rural areas, quite honestly. We had a post-secondary registered apprenticeship grant that came out two weeks ago. And then we just released one on Tuesday that's more of an earn and learn model. It opens it up to a little bit more folks out there. So we're really, it really feels like, Jeff, we're really back in. This is where we were pre-March 13th or whatever the day is, where we're back around trying to help employers get engaged with job seekers and vice versa. It seemed that we had a certain amount of momentum. We had a certain amount of flow, if you will, with regard to the workforce. We had a low, low unemployment rate at some point over the previous 12 to 24 months, the lowest in the country at times. That's right. We had the challenge of skilled workforce, which hasn't changed. You can't snap your fingers and bring everything back. (laughs) You could shut it down quickly, but you can't yeah. bring it back quickly. But yeah. are we to the point where you're feeling almost a resumption of the pre-COVID yeah. momentum? 
I think I think so. I mean, we opened our Iowa Works offices back up, which is always a great sign. You know, those are we, around the state in those areas where folks are coming in looking for jobs, and we're helping employers. It, it really does feel like that. And here's the great part, Jeff. So October is traditionally that month where employers are all pushing to get stuff in before the winter months, and so we're using this month just to leverage to get ourselves back into that mode of going out and reaching people the best we can. Obviously, it's it's not as simple. You know, we're doing a lot more of these Zoom opportunities. But I think so. Hopefully the trend continues into next month with the rate. I'll tell you, Jeff, what's really come out of this is we really figured out that we really can use these types of platforms to connect with more people across the state. And so, yes, we're getting back into that mode and we're doing it in different ways than we were doing it in March, I think is probably the best way to, to put it. We're, we're able to communicate more widely now. Zoom does work. And so we're using, trying to use that to our advantage. Taking that last point, so many of us knew about it, but we right. didn't use it. Right. Because we we had other ways of doing it. And with regard to the coronavirus relief fund, earn and learn grants, and and we're talking about millions of dollars. How has that been apportioned and how does it ultimately help someone who's looking to retrain or become reemployed? Yeah, it's, it's a great thing. I mean, the, the, certainly the leadership within the state of Iowa have been pro-registered apprenticeship, pro-apprenticeship for some time. And, and I think I was a leader. I think the first and foremost thing, these people who aren't really up to date on registered apprenticeships, it's not just trades. Uh, we're trying to get registered apprenticeships in manufacturing companies, information technology, healthcare. It's all over the board. And in fact, it's, it's completely expanding. To, to, to the real crux of it is to get people into an opportunity to get uh, the training and skills they need to fit in a high demand job. And that's really where we're at at the end of the day. There's a lot of those available in the state of Iowa. And we can take an individual who maybe doesn't want to go to college. That's fine. There's plenty of folks out there. Instead of forcing them into to college, let's try to get them into a program, a registered apprenticeship program where they can learn and earn, get paid while they're, while they're going and build a career. And that's what these opportunities are. And, and, the, the opportunities that we've had with the money to, to set up these these grants have come from the governor's office. And we're really just fantastically pleased that we're, we get to be part of putting these out because then you get to see all these innovative applications that come in. And there's like a lot of great ideas across the state. So then we can help facilitate that. We're connecting those those dots and helping people come together with, with their ideas and plans. So, for example, a community college like Kirkwood yep. in Cedar Rapids can yep. receive hundreds of thousands of dollars for a grant target it for these registered apprenticeship programs at specific employers, that truly is a wonderful public-private partnership using the community college system as, in essence, the broker or the intermediary. Yeah, that's right. And the community colleges, you know, we we partner with all over the state in our Iowa works offices, and certainly, you know, they have all kinds of things going on as well. So it's a great partnership. And with what they're trying to do, with what we're trying to do, it, it really, we really are getting a grip back on those individuals in the state. And of course, community colleges are, are, you know, are located in a lot of those areas where we're trying to keep people in those areas. And so it's, it's a, a real two-way street of, of working together and handing off in partnership and referring people on to the right place they need to be. It is always difficult to respond to things that are unforeseen, and the pandemic yeah. obviously is that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But as you look toward not just now the fourth quarter of 2020, but yeah. looking into 2021 with the best estimates of the impact of the pandemic as a health crisis, right? what's the number one challenge for Iowa workforce development in terms of helping make that health crisis not 
also an economic crisis. What are the greatest challenges you folks face as you now pivot to a new calendar year? Well, I think first and foremost, it's staying healthy so we can help serve those individuals. And that's really um, um, at the top of the list for Director Beth Townsend, who really leads this whole thing for us with Iowa Workforce Development. And we have a very, very good team at Iowa Workforce Development. We're very lucky how hard the employees have worked. I would be remiss if I didn't say that. I think for us, it's honestly, Jeff, we just we just need to get through the winter. You know, th- that's our real goal, because if you read the Farmer's Almanac, you know, I think it's supposed to be a bad winter and you don't always know if that's going to be true or not. But, you know, you got to look at it this way. Traditionally, in November, that's when it kind of starts to get a little rough for us. Well, we've been rough since last November all the way through, you know, and this is actually, I think, one of the first ones we've actually kind of slowed down. So from a standpoint of we're trying to to, to re-energize and figure out our next moves for this winter. So that's really our goal. We have to, to, to ensure that we are getting things processed, filed, done timely to ensure that those individuals, if they're laid off for winter months or if they're laid off through the construction because they're waiting on materials, we're kind of hearing some of that as well. You know, we want to make sure that those individuals are getting paid timely because that money obviously goes back into the economy and it'll help the state of Iowa. So it's a, it's kind of goes into a month-to-month thing here for the next three or four months. Ryan West, Iowa Workforce Development Deputy Director. You can learn more at iowaworkforcedevelopment.gov. We connected via Zoom on October 21st. Still to come, the governor's view of Iowa business going into the fall and another example of generational succession. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. The world suffered an economic shutdown due to COVID-19. Then large areas of Iowa suffered a double whammy, the impact of the record-setting August derecho storm. Either would be a daunting task for recovery, but many Iowa businesses had to face both. During a phone conversation on Thursday, October 22nd, I asked Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds to give us her thoughts on how Iowa's businesses and industries have responded during this difficult year. Well, first of all, I'm proud to say that, you know, I've been a governor that's put her trust in, in our people, and because of that, we were able to keep over 80% of our workforce working and businesses open. That's really been um, beneficial for, of course, Iowa businesses and, and our state as well. And, you know, because we were able to keep a majority of our workforce working and businesses open, we, we were able to um, really um, manage a lot of the impact from COVID-19 and the derecho and the drought. And so I'm really proud to say that we ended fiscal year 20. Uh, with a balanced budget, cash reserves full, it's about $770 million plus a $305 million surplus. And I can tell you, probably without hesitation, there's not a lot of other states that would be able to say that. So just really proud of our, uh, and we did it in a safe and, and responsible manner, so I appreciate that. And, you know, the other thing that our businesses did across the state, which is, again, who we are as Iowans and who they are, when PPE, personal protective equipment, was... Um, hard to come by. We had businesses, um, not only nationally, but within our state that retrofitted their operations to help produce face masks and PPE and and just really help us 
um, get meet the needs of long-term care facilities, our first responders, uh, our healthcare professionals, and just in our healthcare providers and, and businesses so that they could keep their employees safe. So I really appreciate that. And then uh, I mentioned the CARES funding. Iowa got um, $1.25 billion, and I'm really proud that uh, Director of Economic Development, we put together a, a grant program for small businesses that she was able to turn around really quickly um, to provide some bridge financing until the federal government could come through with some of their PPP funding grants uh, for businesses across the state of Iowa. And because of the relationship with our community banks and credit unions, Iowa was really, again, able to turn around that funding and get those loans out to, I think, over 61,000 businesses have been able to take advantage of the PPP funding from the federal government. And time after time, with the businesses that I've had the opportunity to visit with, they just said they wouldn't probably be open without, a lot of them receive both, without that grant funding from um, economic development that allowed them time to then apply for the federal funding, and that's really what's kept them going. Another really quick positive thing that I am hearing, now it depends on the industry, so we know our hospitality industry has been so impacted by this, but I am starting to hear some really positive signs uh, that businesses are doing well and that actually projections are uh, exceeding what they were a year ago. So that's positive, um, some some positive news, I think, uh, as we move forward through this. And yesterday or the day before, this track of time, our unemployment rate went down again. So I'm really proud of that. That's another good sign. Our, we were at 11% for a high. We, we dropped to 10, I think, then 666, uh, and we just dropped to 4.7. So... We're moving in the right direction, and I think that's that's good news, too. Governor Kim Reynolds and I spoke this past Thursday. Now, we've mentioned it a couple of times already in this week's program, but Iowa's unemployment rate for September continued a steady five-month-long recovery following the worst of the pandemic. The unemployment rate fell to 4.7% last month from 6.0% in August. There were 76,000 unemployed Iowa residents in September. That is some 28,000 more than during the same month last year. But the number is down by more than 110,000 from the worst of it all in April. Iowa's unemployment rate is now fifth lowest in the country. Iowa's rate of 4.7% compares with a national unemployment rate of 7.9%. Coming up, handing off... For growth, you're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. One of the great things for me about doing this program each week is the ability to engage in extended conversations with some of Iowa's most successful business people. One of the bad things is the limited amount of time we have each week, meaning we cannot fit it all in. In light of the pandemic, many individuals and businesses have started to rethink things, and given that renewed consideration of succession plans, we've been focusing on that topic this month. 
We do so again this week by bringing you more from my conversation last January with Mark Hanawalt of United Equipment Accessories in Waverly. And we focus on how he assumed responsibility for the company his father founded and how he in turn is handing things over to his children's generation. It's important for every generation to be hungry because entitlement is not a positive thing for family companies. And so you have to appreciate what the previous generation has done. Um, you're very concerned about the legacy and how you treat people and and what what legacy you will leave for that next generation because if you're in that situation that you can make that happen, that's a driver for you. Now, and a lot of entrepreneurs, they create it and they sell it. and But that's how a family business tends to be different. There's a stereotype mm-hmm. in a family business, mm-hmm. multi-generation family mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. Was it always presumed you would come into the company and what steps did you have to take and then what did you require of the third generation so that you did not fall into the trap of entitlement as opposed to ability? Well, that's an interesting question in that um, I'm not sure that when I was in high school, even though I had worked on The Secret since I was 14 years old in this place, I don't know that I necessarily thought I would would be back here. But um, when you start thinking of uh, family and, to a certain extent, responsibility, you look at areas that you maybe hadn't looked at before. That's also the difference in generations is that that World War II generation, as I call it, was very controlling. And when you're smaller, you can control more. When you get larger, you just physically and mentally can't control all of it. So I think that's, that's what you have to learn is that what are your limitations? What do you need to keep growing and being successful? And so um, I learned a lot from my father. I hope my son is learning a lot from me. And I think I have been because of his desire to come back into this company, being identified at an earlier age than maybe necessarily I did, we've been much more intentional in that. And so I think that's served as well. There are some families where the rule is, it's fine if you want to come back into the family business, but you have to go work elsewhere first because we want you to have that diversity of experience, very formalistic sort of thing. This sounds a bit more... I'll say over the kitchen table conversations as opposed to being a very rigid family rule. Yeah, it, it was not a rigid family rule when I came in, obviously, mm-hmm. but it was in, in the third generation. So again, that's what you learn and you put more rules and, and uh, processes in place, I think, for each, each generation. And, and uh, because I, I happen to have four sons, there is no guarantee that the fourth generation would come from the the father that's currently here so that's what we're trying to set it up to uh, potentially facilitate i think that's one thing again that family businesses have to come to grips with is well surely you're going to think all of your children are interested in this and i think there tends to be a little bit too much pressure that's put on people because of that i learned that personally from one of my sons and uh maybe assuming more than i should have but um uh, in this case uh we were very intentional about this, um, keeping the entire family involved. We actually have family meetings outside of the business to talk about the business. We want them to be involved. We want them to care about it. You know, all of these kids grew up in Waverly, Iowa, but they all have very fond memories about working in this mm-hmm. business as a high school kid and um, being involved as, as an adult. 
You were talking a bit ago about the second generation expands this direction, the third generation expands a different direction. What I was perceiving almost was a sense of the founding generation had saturation within a finite market. And so there really was no other place to grow. And so it becomes the next generation's responsibility to say, are we fine standing pat? Or now do we keep that market penetration and saturation, but now let's take over some other markets. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. And you know, your your scope becomes, kiddingly, I always say, in my father's mind, a $10,000 investment was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, to what somebody would probably call a million dollar investment now. Mm-hmm. But again, it's the value of money that that World War II generation had. And that um, if you are uh, successful, you continue to grow and uh, obviously, we have 160 employees now. Uh, when I came here, we were under 20. So <laughs> there's a little bit of growth. Mark Hanawalt, president of United Equipment Accessories. And if you've had the chance to travel on Iowa Highway 3 on the east side of Waverly, you've noticed that regardless of the unique nature of 2020, UEA has pushed ahead with a major facilities upgrade and expansion showing confidence in the future of operations in the same city where the company was founded nearly seven decades ago. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including Apple, Google, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you have a prosperous week. Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.